Welcome to the You Can Tell the Children podcast, a place where sharing God's word with the next generation in your circle of influence can be simple, easy, and fun. We know that intentionally teaching children about God and the relevancy of His word will be a game changer in their homes, schools, and communities. This podcast is a ministry of Bible to School, the experts in engaging children with the Word of God. Together, we will make sure you can tell the children about the love of Jesus. Ready, set, let's go. Hey friends, welcome to the You Can Tell the Children podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Steidler, and this is episode 70. Did you ever take a second and ask, why Noah's Ark toys often include a teeny boat with a giraffe stretching its long neck out the side window? Or why Mary, at nine months pregnant, was supposedly riding a donkey looking for a place to give birth? Our guest today, Dana Sneed, will challenge you and your kids to ask really good questions like these and start with scripture to find the answers together. But before we dive into all the fun details, Head on over to our website at BibleToSchool.com to find the show notes and get the resources we chat about today. Go ahead and click subscribe while you're there and take a look at all the other episodes you may have missed. We've got lots of great topics that can help build your confidence in sharing Jesus with the children in your life. And of course, anytime you hear content that speaks to your heart, please share that episode. We want all these conversations to reach the ends of the earth and inspire others that they too can tell the children. Ready to become a scripture sleuth with Dana and Corey? Let's go. Well, welcome, Dana, to the You Can Tell the Children podcast. We are thrilled to have you all the way from Kentucky today. Is that right? That's right. And thank you. I'm excited to be here with you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you're here because I had met a friend, a coworker of yours at the Answers in Genesis organization. They do Noah's Ark. And uh, the Creation Museum is a very, very cool place. And we're going to talk more about that. But her name is Dr. Jennifer Rivera. And she recommended that, that you be an awesome guest on our podcast for our listeners, because we're always looking for uh, very interesting guests. And we loved having her in our podcast, because last November, we talked to her about science and how science helps us explain and understand God's creation, that they're not... They're not uh, separate, that they, God actually, you know, is in science. So, and I know that, that you have more to tell us about that. But, so I can't wait to hear about what you do and have you dig a little deeper into scripture with us. But first, can you tell us about yourself and tell us about your life? Maybe what's your favorite vacation spot? Love to hear that. All right. Yeah. So I uh, grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. And somewhere around the time I was in college, I felt like God was uh, calling me to the ministry. So I went to seminary, and that is where, as I started learning how to dig into Scripture and study Scripture, and that just became extremely important. And then I also was able to discover my love for for teaching and um, just how all of that goes together. And so I got my master's and my PhD in education, and then shortly after that, I got the job up here. It answers in Genesis. So I moved to Northern Kentucky and that's what brought me here. And so since then I've been working with answers in Genesis, which is an incredible ministry where every day I get to come to work and that's my job. I get to study scripture and I get to teach people about scripture. It's just a joy uh, and really cool to see how God directed that path and aligned everything to bring me here. So I love camping. So really, I don't necessarily have a specific place I love for vacation, but 
Anytime I have an opportunity for vacation, I would love, I would choose camping. You love to be out under the stars, huh? I do. Just, you know, it, it's an always an adventure in God's amazing creation. And there's always something to see and something to learn. And it's just amazing and peaceful. And it just reminds me of how amazing our creator is and this world that he has placed us in. I feel that way about the ocean. When I go to the beach, like I just look at the expanse of the ocean. I'm like, God made this. This is so, with all the creatures in it. And ah, it's just, you're right. It brings you back to God. It brings you like an awareness of God. So absolutely. Well, how long have you been at Answers in Genesis? Just about five years. Okay. And and what's your role there? So I am a curriculum writer. I filled a few different roles, but pretty much my main focus has been writing curriculum. So I started working on Answers Bible curriculum for Sunday school. So I helped write on the adult and high school levels for that. And then just in the last two or three years, we have begun working on a homeschool edition of Answers Bible Curriculum. And so that's been my main focus for the last couple of years is taking that. So Answers Bible Curriculum, for anyone who doesn't know, is a four-year chronological walk through scripture, starting with Genesis and all the way through to what we call the consummation, which is the second coming of Jesus when he restores everything, makes creates a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so really, that's what ABC is meant to do. It walks through scripture in a chronological way, treating it as the history book of the universe, because we know that it is the word of God and that his word is authoritative. And when we read the history in the Bible, we see how things actually were from the beginning, given to us by the eyewitness himself, the only eyewitness. That's right. It's such a valuable curriculum. We decided that we needed to adapt that for homeschool. And so really designing that specifically for a homeschool environment. And so that is what I have been working on. We are finishing up year three of that four-year cycle now. Well, I can tell you with Bible to School, where you know we teach the Bible during this public school day, we have a curriculum and a whole curriculum team. That's a lot of hard work. That's a, that is quite a project to do. And of course, you want to be accurate, and we're talking scripture. So you have a lot of expertise in that area. So I'm I'm anxious to to tap into you here about that today. But I want to come back up a second. For those of us who don't know about Noah's Ark and about the Creation Museum, can you just give a little explanation of of what those two places are? Yeah, so the Creation Museum is a state-of-the-art museum that walks through, basically, it focuses on Genesis, but really we use what we call the seven seas of history, which is a walk through history, starting in Genesis and seeing how that connects to Jesus Christ. So we start with creation, which obviously that's the beginning of all things. We see that in Genesis chapter one. And so then we talk about corruption. So just in the next chapters where Adam and Eve disobey God. And so that is where sin comes into the world and disrupts God's original perfection in his design. And also that is the first time that we see the promise of the Messiah as God is speaking to Eve and and Adam and the serpent and giving those punishments. He promises that the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will bruise the heel of the offspring. And so we know with the fullness of scripture that that's referring to Jesus Christ. And so we see that first instance, that first explanation of the gospel right there in Genesis. And then we go forward to catastrophe, which is the global flood that completely wiped out everything on earth, changed the way that we see the earth, how it existed, the formation of it, and all of that, because it was such a cataclysmic event. 
uh, which also explains why we see fossils and things like that. Right. Um, and then moving on from there, because again, we see the gospel and God's preservation of Noah and his family in the ark. And then also going forward to the next uh, sea of history is confusion, because then as they got off the ark and God told them to spread out and fill the earth, but the people again rebelled and they didn't want to spread out. They said, let us stay and build a city and a tower. And so as they were building this tower that we call the Tower of Babel, God saw what they were doing and punished them and confused their language to force them to spread out so that they would fulfill his plan. And so those four C's we find in the book of Genesis, and that explains everything about the origin of what we see in the world today, the different languages, the different people groups, the fossils, all of those things we see in those first four C's. But they're all pointing us to the last three C's, Christ, cross, and consummation, because Christ came, born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, pay the penalty for our sins, so that we could, if we repent of our sins and trust in Him as Savior, we could be saved from our sins and restored to that perfect relationship with God. And then also, we have that promise of the consummation when Jesus will come again, as He has promised to do, and restore all things back to His original design, as we saw in that first sea of creation. So the, so the Creation Museum walks us through that story of, of history that we see as laid out in Scripture. Wow. You said that so eloquently all the way through. And I know I had been to the Creation Museum. The visuals and the interactive displays are amazing. So if you haven't done this at all, taken your family to this or, or visited the Creation Museum, you need to. Noah's Ark is just a replication of, of no, the actual Noah's Ark. Yeah. It's huge. Right. So the Ark Encounter is actually a life-size replica of the Ark. And the exhibits actually walk you through the decks of the Ark. And it's really focusing on that time period of the, the catastrophe, as we call it, and talking about like just some of the, all the questions that everybody has. How did Noah make this Ark? Like, how was he able to? What were the plans? Like, how might he have taken care of the animals? How might he have fed them? And it just deals with a lot of those questions. And again, the point of both attractions are elevating the authority of God's word and understanding that God has given us history and his history is the only true history, not, you know, the made up ideas of evolutionary scientists. And also that like sci science does intersect scripture. Absolutely. I mean, like science proves scripture is right. So that's what yeah. I loved about a lot of the displays there. But you have a cool role that I wanted our listeners to hear at the Creation Museum. Can you tell us about Scripture Sluice, right? Yes. Can so you tell I have, us about that and all about yeah. it? So one of the things that we do at the Creation Museum is we have daily programs where we have different speakers that talk on all sorts of different topics, science topics, Bible topics all sorts of really engaging and interesting messages. So I get the opportunity to do one of those. And so mine is called Scripture Sleuths. And the idea is when we are looking at Scripture, are we valuing Scripture as the authoritative Word of God? And when we see a lot of these, what some people might call Bible stories, we don't like to call them Bible stories because they actually happened and they're real accounts in Scripture. But when we see those things and we see them in in storybooks and TV shows and movies and things growing up, when we look at those, are we taking those ideas and taking them to scripture? Or are we starting with the text as it is written, as God has given it to us and using the scripture itself to help us understand what we're reading? And so it's all about carefully reading the word of God because it's the word of God. Yeah, it's true. Right. Absolutely. 
And so in my talk, I go through several different cases where we kind of walk through some questions about the Exodus, like how do we know how old was Moses when he talked to Pharaoh? How old was Moses when he led the people out of Israel? And how do we know that? Those are questions that you might not know off the top of your head, but if we carefully read those texts, we can find those answers in scripture. And a lot of times that helps us by digging into scripture, that helps us to understand the account that we're reading better, but it also helps us to find some really interesting things about God and about Jesus. So like one of the things that I like to point out when we're talking about the, the Exodus is how long were they in the wilderness, right? Because mm-hmm. right, right off the bat, you might say 40 years because right, 40 they wandered years. for 40 years in yeah. the wilderness. But if you really think about it, it is also some people very reasonably say, well, maybe it was 40 years plus one or two years because when they came out of Egypt, they had to go to Sinai. We know that they stayed for a year at Sinai. Then they went to the promised land. And then at the promised land, that's when they rebelled against God. And he said, well, your punishment's going to be wander for 40 years. So does that 40 years include the two years that it took for them to get to the promised land the first time, or does it not? And so that's a question that if we read the text very carefully, we can find out. I'll just give you the answer. But I I'd, pre- I'd appreciate <laughs> that, Dana, if you gave me the answer. <laughs> I encourage you to look through the text at some point, though, because it's really interesting what you can find. But we actually find in Joshua chapter 4, I think it's verse 19, we actually read that they stepped across the Jordan River into the promised land exactly 40 years from the time that they came out of Egypt, uh, with four days difference, because they left on the day of Passover, which would have been the 14th of the month. They came into the promised land on the 10th of the month, so that if we read in Leviticus about the Passover, that's when they were supposed to take the lamb into the house on day 10, keep it until day 14. So we see by studying that and by digging into that and finding that, we find that God is a very faithful God and he's a God of the details. He brought them into the promised land just in time for them to celebrate the festival that he had given them, the feast that he had given them to remember his protection and provision as he brought them out of Egypt. So I just think that's a really amazing connection that we see when we take the time to dig into what does the text actually say. Wow, you are a scripture sleuth, definitely. Walk us through another one because that that was Exodus. But right. we're, we're kind of getting into holiday season and there's lots of stories that fly around when it comes to like Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah. What, what do you have right. for us, Dana? So if we were going to actually walk through something similar to how we would do it in one of the workshops that I would work through, we would start with an idea, a topic. So in this case, let's talk about the nativity, right? Because we're coming up on Christmas. We're going to see lots of Christmas pageants, maybe nativity scenes things like that. And so a lot of those things we just kind of take for granted because we see them all the time. But when we start and we read the text carefully, what do we actually see? So if we were going to try to lay out a timeline, there are two places that we need to go when we're talking about the nativity, Luke chapter two and Matthew chapter two. Those are the main places that we see details about the birth of Christ. So one of the things that we often see in pageants is Mary is nine months pregnant, riding on a donkey, and they're trying to find a place to live like in the middle of the night, because she's about to give birth, right? Right, right. So when we read the text, is that actually the most accurate way to understand what's going on? So if we look in Luke chapter two, verse six, we read, so this is after they are, they've gone to Bethlehem for the census. In verse six, we read, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So if we're just reading that without any preconceived notions, we're just reading that. That sounds like 
they were already there. Yeah, it and does. while they were there, it came time for her to give birth, which mm-hmm. actually makes more sense because why would a nine-month pregnant woman be traveling so far, such a hard journey, if she was literally any day going to give birth? Yeah, ready to give birth, right. It definitely would make more sense if they had traveled earlier and they were already there when the time came for her to give birth. So just a little detail. Is it super significant whether how we depict that? Maybe, maybe not. But the point here is, what is our starting place? Are we starting with the Word of God, or are we starting with the things that we see all the time? Yeah, right. So then a second question might be, so we always talk about, or Christmas carols. Let's talk about a Christmas carol. Hark the herald angels sing, right? Oh, that's one of my favorites. So did the angels sing to the shepherds? The song says so, Dana. (laughs) (laughs) The song does say so. What does scripture say? Let's pause right now and take a question from one of our Bible to School kids. What about Jesus' mother? Who took care of her? As we explore the Christmas story with our children and hear of Jesus' miraculous birth, we are focused on baby Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah and our Savior. When we look at the other people directly involved in the birth of Jesus, we uncover more of God's character and provision for us. Take a minute or two and point out to your child that Mary's strong faith in God was a source of courage and peace as the Holy Spirit comforted her soul. God provided for her physical needs with her husband Joseph's attention and care. No matter what circumstances God places us in, He will always provide what we need spiritually and physically, just like Mary. If we actually look at the verse in Scripture, so we're still in Luke chapter 2, and we look at verse 10, it says, The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there with the angel was a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So when we read the text, it actually does not say that they were singing. Now, is it reasonable to think maybe they were singing? Possibly, because we do see in other places in Scripture that singing and praising often go together. So it's not necessarily a wrong perception, but we just need to distinguish which of those perceptions come from Scripture and which of those perceptions were just ideas or speculation that we have added for a song or for a pageant or things like that. So um, we also, in that same passage, we can see that the angels announced to the shepherds on the very same night that Jesus was born, because the angel says, unto you this day was born the son of David. Okay. But what about the wise men? Were the wise men there the same day? I've heard this one before because there's a lot of confliction on that. Yeah. Tell tell me what you see. What, What have you found, Sleuth? So we don't actually see the wise men in the passage in Luke. Okay. We have to go to the passage in Matthew to find the wise men. And so really what we see is in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So we know that this is after Jesus was born. Now that doesn't give us necessarily a time. We just know it's sometime after he was born. But then if we skip forward to verse 11, we see that as the wise men reach Jesus, it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother. 
So in this case, we see two details that are different from the account with the shepherds, okay? The word for child is, now this one is getting a little bit into the original languages, but it's a different word for child. The child used in Luke is actually referring to specifically a newborn infant. This word that Matthew uses is really, it can refer to an infant, so we can't 100% rule that out from the word itself, but it also means any child up through adolescence. So it's just, basically, we would think of it as an elementary school age child, right? Anybody from birth to sixth grade, let's say, right? could be referred to as this word for child. So then we also see that they're in a house, whereas before they were staying in probably not a stable, that's a different point, but not a stable. They were in a lower area probably where animals would have been kept because there was no room in the guest room, if you will, of the house that they were staying in. But now we actually see them in a house. So those two things make us think that the setting might be a little bit different. It changed, yeah. Right, But then also we have the fact that after Herod gets upset that the wise men didn't tell him where he could find Jesus, and then he he had determined the timing that they had seen the star, and he decides to kill all of the boy children up to two years of age. So we know that he was paranoid and he wanted to make sure that he got the guy he was trying to get. So Jesus probably wasn't all the way to two years or else he might would have said through three years, right? But mm-hmm. we can assume that it would have could have been close to two years. And that's why he included the two-year-olds or up to two years old to make sure that he killed the child he was trying to kill, which of course he didn't because God is sovereign and God protected Jesus and saved them by yes. warning Joseph and they fled to Egypt because nobody can thwart God's plan. That's exactly right. So it's just all these really neat things that we can see and how they work together when we're actually reading the scripture the way that God intended for us to read it. So you're really teaching kids, from what I'm understanding, to critically think about the scriptures, to really dive in, to challenge them. When you're going through this with your class at, at the museum, but we at home, moms, dads, grandparents, aunts and uncles, especially Sunday school teachers, we can get those kids in those in those scripture and really ask questions and start to say, well, is it really like this? And then yeah. it could be really like this, or right. it could be, you know, a different, a little bit, a little bit different, but not huge details different, but it gets them all interested. Is that what you have found with children when you it's at the museum? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's one of the things that is so important and why I love this so much is because it really just encourages us to read the text carefully, to start with God's word, but then also just kids love finding out new information, right? They love to tell you when they've learned something and they love to tell you when you're wrong or to point out something that's wrong. Mm. So so it's actually using that that may not always be a good trait, but in this case, we can use it as a great trait because when we're watching, let's say like a TV show that is telling some account from scripture that, you know, they've always heard of or a storybook that's showing this. And then we take those opportunities to ask them, okay, well, this reminds us of what's going on and it gives us a great visual picture, but let's read the scripture and let's see how close this person got to what is actually in scripture. And especially with the somewhat older kids that can, as they learn how to do that critical thinking, we can add the element of having them evaluate okay, so what do we see in this video that is actually from Scripture? What do we find that is just a speculation? It's not that Scripture 
It's not that it goes against scripture. It's just that somebody has added that because we don't know the answer. And maybe it's reasonable based on what we know, or maybe there's a better conclusion based on what we know. And just getting them to start kind of getting rid of those preconceived notions, those visual pictures, and starting with scripture first and using scripture to evaluate those things that we see everywhere around us. Or getting them to think for themselves and actually like own their their own walk with God. It, just a little step right. that way. I love that. And one of the reasons this is important also from an apologetic standpoint, because Answers in Genesis is an apologetics ministry, and that's one of the things that we're trying to do with a lot of the things that we do here and present here. But it's one of the things that Ken Ham always says, and he talks about Noah's Ark. That's one of the reasons why we opened the Ark Encounter, to actually have a life-size Ark that you can actually go through and really deals with how these things could have actually happened. Because one of the things that we see in general, when we have always taught the kids growing up about this little, what we call bathtub arcs, right? It's like a little (laughs) arc that isn't big enough to hold the animals. And the giraffe is like sticking, his head is hanging off because there's not room for him under the roof and all of that. And the kids get to see that. And maybe you're thinking like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just like on the nursery wall. It's just a cutesy little thing. But if that is always what they see without ever digging into the scripture, then we're giving them a picture that is easy for the critics to throw holes into. And now when they get older and somebody starts asking questions, well, that ark wasn't big enough to hold the animals. Now they have to start doubting and start asking, well, could the ark have held those animals? I don't know. But if we start with scripture and we start with, okay, let's look at these dimensions. Let's look what God really said about the ark. Let's look about how all these things happened. And we see those, we start with scripture and the authority of God's word, then we are actually strengthening their foundation before they ever get to the point where those critics are throwing those darts at what they believe. I love that. Oh, wow. That is so great, Dana. What what you are doing is a subtle way to help children grow. Just a subtle way to say, hey, let's 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 do this ourselves. Like yeah. I said, build that foundation. And man, there's all kinds of cultural stories coming at them. Right. But the word of God is truth and it can combat any counterfeit. So even even right. subtle things like that, like Noah's Ark. So oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Before we wrap up here, I just wanted to know like if you have any word of encouragement or advice to our audience today on how they can at home really talk to their kids and tell the children. Yeah, so there's a couple things I would say. Number one is it is never too early to start doing this with your children. Kids love to explore. They love to discover. They love to learn. And so if we use that as we're studying scripture and we actually ask them questions, have them ask us questions. And even if they ask us a question we don't know the answer to, we might not even think it's a big deal. But if we take the time to say, you know what, that's a good question. Let's go to the scripture and let's see what we can find. Then you're training them, even at that earliest age, where do we go for answers? We go to the scriptures. And you're helping them to see that from a very, very early age. But then also, just from a very practical sense, I would say that it's not really that difficult to do this. It it might sound intimidating to study the scriptures and to dive in and ask these kinds of questions. But really, you're doing the same thing that you do every day with everything that you see, right? You see something, you ask a question. You are never not taking things and trying to learn from them and trying to see, okay, how does this fit into everything else that I know? And that's all you're doing when you're reading scripture. And so asking questions, I would say that the easy places to start, just if you're having trouble coming up with what questions to ask. How did you know that I'm, that? that's me? I have to figure <laughs> out where to start. That's me. <laughs> 
So for me, I always start with the kind of the timeline questions. So how much time passed from this event to that event? Or what age was somebody at this time or that time? Or where did they go? Like looking at a map, okay? Mm. So where did they go from here to there? I know the place names because I just read them, but that doesn't mean anything to me. So let me find a map and let me see where their movements took them. Relationships. Is this person related to that person? How are they related? Grandfather, father, cousin, all those kinds of things. So finding those types of relationship questions. So really... All you're doing is you're researching scripture. You're just asking the questions. And so finding those connections. And I promise you, if you start doing that, one question will lead to another question, will lead to another question. And then before you know it, you have dug into something that you never even thought to ask when you first started reading. That's great, Dana. Thank you so much for your expertise today and all your tips for us. Would you mind ending us in prayer? Yeah, I'd love to. Lord, we just thank you for for who you are. We thank you for your word that you have given us, that you have just inspired and preserved every word that we have in scripture. And God, just thank you for giving us that that place where we know that we can trust in your authority and your truth and that there are no errors or uh, mistakes. And God, we just thank you that you have given us such a solid foundation that we can rest in, that we can trust in. And God, I just pray that you would help us to to be faithful as we dig into your word, that you would just help to motivate us to to dig deeper, give us the questions to ask, and, and help us to work through to discern what comes from your word, what comes from scripture, and what just comes from the things that we have seen or that we've heard or we've taken for granted. God, I just pray that you would help us to to each seek after you and to do that in starting in the simple ways like asking the questions as we're reading your word. God, again, thank you for giving us your word and the opportunity for us to be here. And God, I just pray that you would help us to honor and glorify you in everything that we do and that you would help us to uh, share your gospel to those around us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love all the sleuthing we just did right there. You know, I have to admit from my childhood on even into adulthood, I've scratched my head at some of the logistics of the Christmas story. I've even done my own research on it, but I've never drawn my kids into the conversation. Dana's so right. Children thrive off of learning new information, especially info they think other people might not know. So what a great opportunity this is to have some fun digging in God's word. And we're not just having fun. We're actually teaching kids to critically think about scripture and then strengthening their foundation before the critics throw the darts at what they believe. The best part about uncovering the truths in scripture together is we get to see how faithful our God is and that he truly is the God of details. So what about you? What questions come to mind when you think of Bible stories you've heard that may not line up with what God's word actually says? Join our conversation by heading over to our Facebook and Instagram accounts at Bible to School and check out our blog. You'll also want to swing over to our website at BibleToSchool.com. That's Bible, the number two, school.com. And click on the red tab and sign up for a free lesson. Our curriculum team has already done all the scripture sleuthing for you. Don't forget to stop in here next week as I talk with my friend Carrie and hear some pretty amazing Bible to School God stories. Until then, keep scripture sleuthing with the kids around you and tell them about Jesus.